the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Also on the faces 
people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. Watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And I think. What a wonderful world. The Tom Summer Program.com. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my uh, my guest this hour is, um, let me uh, refer to my notes here, is uh, a, a board member for the Great Lakes Renewable Energy Association, and we're going to be talking about the fact that, uh, well, before the pandemic, uh, clean energy jobs were... Uh, growing two times faster than uh, other jobs in the economy. And uh, just recently, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that there were 8.2 fewer, 8.2 million fewer jobs in the U.S. economy than existed before COVID-19 hit. We're going to talk about clean energy, clean energy jobs, and the impact with... Uh, uh, my guest, uh, Ken Zabera, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Ken. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ken, what, how did clean energy jobs fare during the pandemic? Did we, did we lose a bunch of those, or did they tend to be jobs that people could do remotely and they just sort of continued on? Uh, I guess it depends on what industry and what uh, what part of the industry you were in. Um, I work for a company called Harvest Solar out of Jackson, and we we do a little bit of residential, but uh, more of our business is commercial and larger utility scale solar projects for for businesses, farms, and, and uh, utility scale stuff. And that side of the business did not really, at least in our experience, did not uh, take much of a hit. We were able to work from home. We were still able to build uh, commercial and utility scale projects um, as uh, as we were declared to be essential workers and uh, the residential side though uh, some our residential side of the business and a lot of our uh, friendly competitors and and colleagues in the residential space uh, did take a, a bigger hit I believe on on job loss um, 
Well, what kind of businesses uh, kept you afloat? Because a lot of businesses uh, slowed down, certainly, during the pandemic. Yeah, they did. We saw early on in the pandemic, we expected, uh, we did have some layoffs and expected a, uh, a pretty big decrease in in just work and projects. And and uh, and we quickly uh, brought everybody back or, or just about everybody back and uh, and continued to grow. And I, a big part of it, which we didn't necessarily expect, was that we work a lot with farmers, large farmers, you know, food producers, uh, apple uh-huh. farmers. And, and blueberries and, and things like that. And uh, at the at the beginning of the pandemic, there seemed to be you know a lot of people buying a lot of food, and and uh, that the food industry um, was doing well, and that allowed certain large food producers to move forward on uh, on a solar project to uh, to become a more efficient operation and and get some tax benefits. How significant is the transition that that some businesses and residences are making with regard to clean energy? You work in solar, and I would think that you uh, would know if if we're if, if people that are transitioning to solar are, are how far are they in this idea of of going off the grid? Sure. So there's there's a wide range. Uh, some, on rare occasion, residences can and do go completely off-grid, but typically that's not very reasonable or, or cost-effective or really doable. Um, most, of, uh, most of what happens is a home or a business or a farm can get rid of a, a big chunk of their electric bill, let's say 50, 70, 80 percent. Uh, of their electric bill, and it's not going off grid. It's 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 not, uh, and a lot of times it's not even a backup source. A lot of times it's just uh, solar is acting as a second grid source or or reducing what you're buying from the utility. Um, so that's the the typical way it works. This is still fairly new um, for a lot of people. Ken, how when when did you? get interested when and how did you get interested in clean energy and and how long have you been in the business sure so uh, it was kind of a a coincidence in but in uh, 2012 i graduated from eastern michigan university and uh, with a bachelor's degree in mathematics with a physics minor originally i wanted to teach it didn't work out and i wasn't sure what i wanted to do and uh, i was working a few side jobs and i ended up uh, I had a day off and and uh, a rare day off, and ended up cold calling, uh, looking for a, a more of a career job. Um, I cold called several businesses, including Harvest Solar in Jackson. They hired me as an associate engineer, and uh, and then you know at the time it was it was just a small handful of us trying to figure out what the clean energy is and how to how to grow in it and what our space will be in it. And uh, and we've grown substantially, and by the end of the year, we we, uh, we should be we hope to be just about and possibly all the way to 100 employees, and uh, and so it's you know from there I I they put me into a, a more of a technical sales role, and and I've been successful there, and and uh, it's been fun growing with the company. And that's in in just under 10 years that you've seen that kind of growth. Is that indicative? of the path that clean energy is on? 
I would say overall it is yes. Um, you know, we we do take pride in some of the the things we've done to to uh, create that growth, and and uh, I don't know if everybody is seeing that growth, but in general, that industry the industry is trending that way. I would agree. Um, President Biden has made reference to wanting to pursue uh, green energy uh, or clean energy policies, and he's talking a lot and negotiating a lot with Congress about uh, infrastructure. What kind of infrastructure is needed to accommodate uh, more growth in clean energy? You know, to be honest, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not an expert on on kind of big picture national grid infrastructure, but it is it is definitely a piece that needs to be addressed. Right now, on you know on a, you know if, if solar accounts for one two three percent of a utility or a state's uh, infrastructure or or uh, generation, um, you know not much needs to be accounted for in terms of grid modernization. But as that number becomes 10% or 20% or 50%, uh, it, the timing of solar and wind generation becomes a big variable in needing to, to store energy or transfer energy uh, when the sun is not shining or the wind's not blowing. So there are, there are things that need to be addressed there, and, um, and I hope they do get addressed, but I'm not necessarily an expert on how or, or what might uh, happen to, to make that work. You know, you mentioned, and being in Michigan, of course, this is a, a real big deal, probably uh, like it might be in, uh, in Washington State, um, but the amount of sunshine when you're talking about solar, and, and you mentioned wind as well, can, can go up or down if you're using uh, wind turbines for energy. Um, isn't hydro a third leg of that stool? It is, and, and, uh, it, and hydro in certain applications can be more cost-effective and more practical than wind and solar. Uh, right now, at least in the space that I'm in, 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 the, in commercial projects in the Midwest uh, and small utility-scale projects in the Midwest, Solar, 99% of the time, solar is the most cost-effective. Um, wind is, is a bit phasing out, and solar is taking its place. And um, not completely, but almost completely, at least in this area. And, uh, you know, you mentioned cloudy, uh, cloudy weather or, or sunshine uh, here in Michigan. That's, that's one of the uh, biggest questions or most common questions I get is, you know, isn't it too cloudy in Michigan? And it, it's kind of true. We do we do get less sunshine than pretty much the rest of the Midwest and almost the rest of the country. And uh, but one of the one of the variables that makes it more cost effective in Michigan is our high electric rates. You know, like it or not, or agree with it or, or not, um, it, it's just the fact that Michigan pays significantly higher electric rates than most of the Midwest. So that helps the cost effectiveness of, of solar. You know. Is that because of uh, weather and climate that that um, consumers use more energy, keeping their houses warm? That's, I, I'm sure that's part of it, is that we get uh, a lot of air conditioning and a lot of heating, uh, you know, where other parts of the country is, is more one or the other. But um, that's probably part of it. Uh, a lot of it's political and, and uh, you know, the, for instance, Ohio has more electric choice. You have more flexibility of where and where you can buy your energy. And, and so there's a lot of political factors, some good, some bad, but um, a lot behind the scenes there. 
More about clean energy with Ken Zabara straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about clean energy with Ken Zabara straight ahead. There's there's a, a certain design element that needs to be factored in when you're talking about using solar panels, for example, um, in states like Michigan that have a, a lot of snowfall. Isn't there something about angling solar panels in such a way that they don't become snow-covered? Yeah, there is. Sometimes uh, sometimes you just can't avoid snow cover, and you just take it into account in the production estimates and, and see if it still makes sense. Uh, but a lot of times there are design considerations to avoid uh, avoid too much snow cover. Um, there's also there's a newer a newer technology that that uh, a lot of the industry is using, which is bifacial panels, where the panels will actually generate a little bit more off the back side of the panels from reflected and ambient light. And so we're we're starting to design, you know, take into account certain design considerations to take advantage of snow and other things that reflect the light. Uh, you know, off a building or off the ground from the snow uh, to be more efficient from the backside of the panels as well. You know, the uh, public utilities and the the power companies in Michigan have been encouraged for years to transition to more sustainable sources for its energy. And you've referred to uh, utility clients uh, in in your business. Um, h- how is that transition going for public utilities to become more, um, well, let's just say less reliant on fossil fuels? Sure. There, there's some good and bad with it. Uh, you know, our, our utilities, Consumers Energy, for example, they They've committed to a large amount, and DTE as well, um, they've committed to a large amount of, of solar and wind over the next 10, 20, 30 years, and uh, and that's mostly because solar and wind are simply cheaper generation sources than coal and gas and, and uh, fossil fuels. Um, so we have crossed that threshold where solar and wind is simply cheaper to, to, uh, to make energy, and the utilities recognize that, and that's why they're going to utility-scale solar and wind and moving in that direction, the uh, the one thing that, just in my personal opinion, is it still needs to be addressed, and the utilities are are not as cooperative on, is distributed generation. You know, letting homeowners and businesses install their own solar. Um, they're not as favorable and and cooperative on that regard. When people talk about clean energy, um, and and I'm talking about policymakers uh, primarily, or at least thought leaders. Um, there are two aspects. One is the impact on um, reducing the use of fossil fuel, and and certainly coal, which is considered one of the the dirtier sources of uh, um, energy uh, sources. Um, and the other thing they talk about is creating new jobs. Um, and and sometimes it it almost sounds like they're they're saying new jobs to get people to go along with the idea of moving away from fossil fuels. Um, what what is the real impact of the transition to to cleaner energy sources on uh, 
well, uh, on the one side, the environment, on the other side, commerce and jobs. Sure. So I, I'm not in the, you know, coal or natural gas or, or otherwise uh, industry. So I don't know exactly what those jobs look like uh, personally, but I can tell you that on the clean energy side, there is a wide range. There are a lot of people and, and occupations involved in every project from, you know, engineers and, and CPAs and attorneys and, and marketers and administrators and grant writers and everything on the front end. And then, uh, and then you know, to actually build and, and execute a project, you've got a lot of, of labor, uh, a lot of electricians, licensed electricians, and, um, and that goes for the utilities. There, there, are, there are jobs at the utilities for this in the private sector, the public sector, uh, you know, union, non-union, a very wide range of uh, skilled, unskilled, you know, blue-collar, white-collar, a, a very wide range of occupations that, that uh, are growing and, and maybe didn't exist uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago. Has it gotten considerably easier to convert to, say, solar panels, for example? Um, are, are these things that people can self-install, or is it better to have someone, you know, an electrician come out and, and, uh, and, and help set that up? Yeah, overall, it's definitely uh, probably more safe and, and uh, reliable to have a licensed electrician install your system. And there are, there are reasons, like there are, you know, often, for instance, state-backed financing programs to, uh, to allow solar projects to work in some cases. And, and programs like that will often require uh, the use of a, a, a pre-qualified installer, things like that. But, but it has become much easier. There are more self-installers. It has become, the equipment has become much more compatible with the grid and the uh, and, and batteries and storage and that that part of it has become uh, a lot more streamlined and and efficient batteries and storage has has been the thing that has slowed down uh, conversion to solar panels isn't it i agree yeah it is and that's uh, i think that's the next really big thing with the industry is and uh, it needs to be and i think it will be uh, because you know as we know it's it's it, it, the, the sun comes out every day, but it doesn't come out, but it's not out at night, and you have cloudy days and sunny days, and the timing of those loads, you know, solar is actually the cheapest source to, to generate uh, electricity if you're talking about just generating the energy, but the storage and timing part of it does need to still be uh, better addressed, and, and it is becoming uh, more and more addressed, and, and batteries are becoming more and more efficient and cost-effective, but, but it's got a ways to come. Yeah, what about the cost implications of of converting to solar? I, I remember when solar panels first came out, a cup maybe a couple of decades ago, um, it they were really expensive. Have have they come down in price dramatically? Yeah, dramatically, dramatically. I would say, um, you, you know, it depends on obviously the situation and the scale and and a lot of different variables. But even just even just 12 or 15 years ago, uh, we are probably 20 to 30 percent the the cost of what it was, uh, you know, 10 to, or 12 or 15 years ago. 
And and uh, and of course, the same is happening with uh, battery and storage. If as it as it becomes mass produced and and easier to work with, um, the costs are coming down there too. Yeah, that's correct. And there's there's kind of an ironic situation happening where a lot of utilities across the country are kind of fighting small scale solar and. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to argue whether that's good or bad or, or anything, but it, but the, uh, the fact that they are fighting the small-scale solar and paying less, uh, paying less against an electric bill for solar generation at a home or a business is creating more of a need for batteries and is, is kind of spurring that market. And so th- these, these negative utility policies, are actually promoting, you know, more growth and, and R&D in the battery side uh, to allow people to, in the near future, just go off-grid. Um, do you, in, in residential um, cases, people who are looking to either go off the grid or at least curb the costs they have, um, what kind of investment can you can you estimate what uh, what kind of an investment people have to make to adapt to um, solar energy, for example? Yeah, definitely. There's you know a, a good example. Let's say you let's say you don't want to go completely off grid, but you just want to get rid of most uh, or, or a big chunk of your electric bill and stay grid tied. Um, a, a typical residential project is let's say $30,000, you know, it could be anywhere from, from ten dollars to $100,000, but call it around 30000 And uh, right now there's a federal tax credit of 26%. And then depending on what state you're in or what, what area you're in, uh, there are other benefits. There's some, there are some really good financing programs uh, that make it easy uh, and affordable. Um, but that's a, a rough idea. Um, my... Uh my guest is uh, Ken Zabera. He uh, is a member of the board of the Great Lakes uh, Renewable Energy Association. Um, as as and and you work in solar energy as well, which I, I want to make sure and mention. You're director of uh, commercial sales for farms and businesses at Harvest Solar in Jackson. Um, what would you and the uh, and the association like to see uh, Congress do? Uh, well, I I uh, I'm not completely involved in the national scene, and uh, but on the on the state level, the one thing that in in my personal experiences and what I do every day for for a living, uh, what would really be impactful for me is. Uh, for Congress to address the the, the cap bill, we, we call it in the uh, that is currently in the House Energy uh, Committee, um, but there's a cap right now on on how much solar can be installed throughout the state on homes and businesses, and uh, and that if we hit that cap, utilities will be allowed to to uh, you know not allow you to put in solar at your your home or business, and the. Uh, one kind of myth or, or often myth is that the solar industry is not looking for, you know, some kind of subsidy or, or premium rate. We just want a fair rate for all for our solar energy. So, you know, imagine you, you own a, a uh, hardware store 
and you want to put in a solar array to get rid of, you know, 60% of your electric bill or something like that, and, and imagine the utility says, no, we don't have to let you do that, and or we're not going to pay you anything for your solar generation on sunny days when you're making more than you need. And you say, well, wait a minute, I don't want any premium or subsidized rate. I just, you know, I take into account infrastructure upgrades and all those costs and give me and pay me a rate that's fair for the utility, fair for my neighbors, fair for me. I don't want some subsidized, you know, premium rate. Just give me a fair rate. And they say, well, no, nope, we're still not going to do that because we've hit our cap in the state. And to me, that's completely unfair, and, and that's one piece that, that I wish uh, Congress would, would address. Is Do you think that's a result of, of the utility companies lobbying for those, uh, those caps because they're not really economically uh, positioned to transition? Yeah, I, I'm positive that's the case, and, and, uh, and I, I see it every day, and, you know, it's a little frustrating, but... Um, yes, that is the, the case. Where are some places that people can get good information about where we are in terms of uh, developing clean energy for practical use and, um, and, and what's going on um, in terms of um, the the government support or blocking of those initiatives sure let me give you three good examples uh so first of all part of the reason that we're talking today is is the clean jobs america 2021 report by e2 and that can be found at e2.org and uh and so that's that's a good resource for for things relating to that also uh you mentioned i'm on the board of great lakes renewable energy association and uh, or GLREA, you can go to glrea.org. We have some good informational uh, items there. And then uh, I personally also like uh, Solar Energy Solar Energy Industries Association (SEIA). Uh, they do a lot of work for our industry uh, politically and information. There's a lot of informational stuff online um, there. Obviously, a lot of a lot of actual solar installs installers or developers. Can give you plenty of information, but you know it, it, it may be bias or or um, you know speculation. So I encourage you to go to those those GLREA or E2 or SEIA uh, to get unbiased uh, factual information. Uh, and now this is is kind of big picture, but President Biden and others have talked about setting a. Uh, a, a timeline or, or a deadline of sorts to um, eliminate a carbon footprint. Do you think that the clean energy industry is is poised to um, meet a challenge like that if uh, uh, the president or if Congress were to say we're going to have clean energy by 2050? that that we could make that transition and what what can people do to to move that along well i think that uh, i think it, i think anything's possible and we've you know especially through covid and and uh and a lot of different things we've shown as a country we can we can do just about anything if we want and i think that's possible to be completely carbon neutral or carbon free but it would take a lot of work 
I, I think that the actual generation of energy is would not be difficult, and it's more about the the timing and grid modernization and storage, and kind of managing and controlling the energy as opposed to actually generating enough energy. The um, the big power outage in uh, Texas during the the rare winter storm this this past winter has a lot of people nervous about about the grid. Um, do events like that impact the clean energy industry? Do you all of a sudden, do the phone start ringing off the hook? You know, how how can I get hooked up and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, there's a little bit. It, it's, uh, it, there are, it, it increases the battery questions and conversations, uh, that's for sure, uh, because a typical solar project, most of the time, is actually, you know, uh, when you're grid-tied and reducing your electric bill, it, it's actually acting as a second grid source where you are, uh, where the the solar array will turn off when the grid goes out, and so you need battery backup, which is which is not always uh, the case in a solar installation. You need uh, battery backup in order to have power in an outage. So the battery part of a solar project conversation uh, has become a lot more prevalent, a lot more common. Um, and, and it's also, and for good reason, I think, uh, improving the conversations of modernizing the grid and, and different things where, you know, it, I think there's a benefit in the context that you're talking about here that uh, of having distributed generation and, and uh, you know, meaning having small solar and wind projects uh, distributed throughout the state and at different, uh, on, a, on a smaller scale more widespread as opposed to one or two or three enormous uh you know generation wind farms or solar farms is there a a threshold that that battery research and development and manufacture has to reach before this this can all really open up uh yeah there is and and it's it's hard to quantify that i guess uh it, it's hard to you know, put a, a specification or a date or something on that. But I guess, you know, right now, right now for, for just flat-out generation, solar and wind has, you know, met grid parity where we can generate cheaper or as cheap as fossil fuels for generation. But I think the big threshold is to be able to do that, to, to hit that same threshold along with storage. You know, when you add storage to a solar project or a solar farm, now it's not as cost effective, and you can't make that power as cost effectively. So uh, that's that's really the piece to, that we need to get to. And and are we are we close? Are we where are we on the um, path to that? Well, there's a lot of different. I think the uh, I think the the growth in the energy as a whole is driving a lot more R and D on the on that regard um so i think it's it's getting close quickly but probably not you know two or three years out but also not 20 years out you know maybe maybe we're talking uh you know eight to ten years out from from being able to uh cost effectively generate and store energy uh at a similar cost as fossil fuels is the the research development of uh battery technology in the automotive industry um, helping that process are they related in any way 
Yeah, they're related. They're, it, it's a different mindset and a different battery a little bit. You know, the, an electric vehicle wants to charge quickly and discharge over many miles, where a solar battery is, is kind of the opposite. You, it's being charged by a trickle charger of, of a solar array all day and uh, and then discharges quickly when certain loads turn on. So it's a little bit different in terms of the technology, but in general, it is absolutely driving the market and, and the R&D and uh, improving the technology. And there are a lot of things utilities are, are starting to implement now, too, where they, you know, a, a utility can, um, you know, sometimes have access to your electric vehicle battery while it's charging in your garage overnight, and they can use the energy, they can pull energy from your electric vehicle battery to power your neighbor's loads during peak times and things like that. So there are um, you know, and that's really good, in my opinion, just to be able to be more flexible and, and modern with the grid management. So there are things like that uh, that are happening. Well, Ken, I appreciate you spending some time and sharing your expertise with me and uh, my listeners this morning. And um, thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Yep. That was uh, Ken Zabara. He is uh, a third-generation Michigander, a board member of the Great Lakes Renewable Energy Association and the director of commercial sales for farms and businesses at Harvest Solar in Jackson, Michigan. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Isolated, I think all that there is. 
This is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel and said, Goo goo that's not the right verse. He was only six months years old. Oh, wait, Tommy. The real, the ethnic, you know the real version. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, his daddy picked him up. Threw him on the floor and said, This baby's done wet on me. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Oh, one more chance. One more chance is all you get. See this pin? It says, Think ethnic. You gotta think ethnic and sing ethnic to ever earn this pin. When John Henry was a little baby, sitting on his daddy's knee, he picked up a hammer and a little piece of steel and said, This hammer be the death of me, Lord, Lord, hammer be the death of me. Yeah, when John Henry was just a little tyke, he picked up a piece of steel and a hammer. It seemed like he knew all the time, down deep inside, that he was going to work on the railroads. And there was a big story waiting for him to arrive on. Why was a little boy used to go around hammering on things? His daddy bought him a little hammer. Let's go around hammering the tables and hammering the fixtures. We <laughs> used to get a licking all the time. You go up and hammer on the front door. Hammer on the chairs. Yet as John Henry grew, he grew in size, and he grew in stature, and he grew in his mind, his horizons grew. He started going out and got a bigger hammer. Started walking around town hammering things. Hammering trees, people's fences, fire hydrants. 
while John Henry could just go around hitting one fire hydrant with one whop, whop. <laughs> yeah. All the dogs in town hated John Henry. <laughs> Well, the whole story goes is that when he grew to full size, he could drive steel on the railroad, drive those spikes in the ground faster than any ten men. People started talking about John Henry. Why he's the fastest man that ever drove steel on the railroad. And the whole story of John Henry really starts the day the captain told John Henry something. John Henry said, Tell me something, Captain. <laughs> then the captain said, John Henry, I'm gonna bring me a steam drill round. I'm gonna bring me a steam drill out on the job. I'm gonna pop that steel on down, Lord, Lord, pop that steel on down. Sure enough, next day they had a steam drill out on the job. Big red steam drill, shiny smokestack sticking up in the air. Well, they had old John Henry over there. Muscles rippling in the sun, sweat running off in gimlets. Ringlets. Well, the captain head of all the railroad workers, looked over at that steam drill and smiled. Then he turned over and he looked over at John Henry, with his beady little eyes. He snarled over John Henry. Hi there, John. <laughs> well, John Henry didn't say nothing. Just spit on his hands, picked up those two nine-pound hammers, walked slowly over towards that steam drill, spit on the steam drill. <laughs> then went over and spit on the captain. <laughs> so it got to be about 12 o'clock starting time for the race. Every railroad man in the county was out there that day because they knew if John Henry lost that race, they were all out of a job. Well, it got to be starting time for the race. John Henry is up there at that starting line. That steam drill was up there at that starting line. Big smokestack sticking right up in the air. A little bit of spit on it. <laughs> well, the captain walked up to the starting line. I swear you could hear a pin drop that day. Took out his pistol and pointed it up in the air. John Henry spit on it. <laughs> Actually, this was about the greatest race in the history of man. The race between a man and a machine. He pointed that pistol up in the air and shot it off. Bang! <laughs> that started that race.
Dumb smart, I like thought he could be a steam drill. <laughs> what a thing for crying out loud. John Henry said to the captain, to the captain, by God I ain't no fool. Before I'll die with a hammer in my hand, I'm gonna get me a steam drill tool, Lord Lord. Get me a steam drill tool. Get me a steam drill tool, Lord Lord. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner program is pulling into the station with that from uh, the Smothers Brothers. We've got time to wrap it up for today, but I'll be back tomorrow at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all the great guests we had uh, on the show today, uh, starting with uh, Ken Zabara from the um, Great Lakes Renewable Energy Association, talking about renewable energy and uh, clean energy jobs. Also want to say thanks to Jenny Elder Moak, who I uh, substituted for, uh, I had originally scheduled a uh, conversation um, with Todd uh, Sturgill, and he had a power outage, called me later and said he was sorry he wasn't able to connect, but we're, we've rescheduled and we'll have that interview coming up uh, soon. And, of course, a very interesting conversation with Andy Norman this morning about mental immunity. See you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.